For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Greg Johnstone. We're coming to you after the Red Sox won the World Series, but unfortunately we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the Revolution, who also played on Sunday, um, and a bit less of an important game. Uh, they did come away with a one nothing victory off of a late Diego Fagundes goal, his 50th career goal uh, against the Montreal Impact. Uh, the game meant nothing for the Revolution, but it did actually have some meaning for the Impact, who um, needed to win the game to have a chance of making the playoffs, as other results went. Even a win wouldn't have gotten them through, but uh, going into the day, they still had a chance. So this game was, was huge for them. Uh, meant nothing to the Revs other than a chance to give the home fans something, some sort of entertainment to end the end the season. Um, interesting lineup from the Revolution. Zachary Her- Haravu played right back. Kellen Rowe got a start uh, in the center of midfield again, um, which was you know good to see for him. And Brandon Bio was at left back back in the lineup. Um, we can talk a bit of, bit more about that. Matt Turner also starting in goal. Um, but you know, before we jump into things, I'm actually curious, Greg, what did you think about Montreal's tactics going into this game? Because knowing they needed three points, I was a little bit surprised they didn't press uh, a bit harder, you know, really at any point in this game. Yeah, I agree. I, I think if you were to show this game to me and not tell me what the situation was, I would have assumed it was two teams that really weren't playing for anything. Um, you know, we've seen Montreal come out aggressive. We, we, the revolution went up to Montreal and Piatti uh, tore that back line to shreds. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's that they had to travel or what exactly the case was, but they didn't seem like a team that was fighting for a playoff spot. I think their expected goals was something like 0.62 and the revolutions was 0.67. It was a very conservative game on both sides. And, you know, the revolution came away with three points, but you never got that sense of urgency from Montreal that um, they were, they were fighting to extend their season. It was kind of bizarre. Um, So yeah, from a Montreal standpoint, I'm not really sure what happened it's not like the revolution didn't have gaps in their defense and that they haven't been exposed all season long especially you think zach haravo at right back that's kind of a weird experiment uh going on the last last game of the season so um for whatever reason uh montreal just didn't seem to really get their offense in gear on i guess it was yesterday sunday uh and yeah i i, I was very confused by it also it didn't play out how i thought it would go yeah, and you, you mentioned Zach here, but I want to get into you know the, the few things we were able to learn from this game because, as I said, didn't mean anything for the Revolution, and there weren't too many lineup changes. Um, but the one that surprised us was was Haravu at right back. Um, and, of course, Rowe in central midfield. I think when we saw the lineup, we assumed it was going to be Bai at right back and, and Rowe at left back, but instead it was Haravu at right back. Uh, what did you think of his performance, and, and what, did, what did we learn about him in this game? I didn't think he did anything bad. I mean, the the revolution didn't concede yesterday, so you can't really fault the defense for a whole lot when you don't concede a goal. Um, Haribo, he, I think he's out of position. He seemed to play a little bit awkward, and you can tell it was kind of an experiment. Um, there was kind of the play in the first half where uh, Lovitz kind of blew by him. Um, he doesn't really have a whole lot of speed to kind of occupy that, that right-back spot, I, I feel. Um, he just doesn't seem to be a natural fit in that 
kind of right back spot. But uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see, um, you know, Brad Friedel's mindset. And, and you know, it's good to give uh, Zach Haribo that uh, experience, I should say, and see what works. Um, he didn't do anything terrible. As I say, Lovitz got by him the first half. I think there was another play where he tried uh, <laughs> kind of passing to, I think it was De La Maya, and he, he kind of slid down. He didn't really get a lot on the ball, and he kind of turned it over. That was kind of a sloppy mistake in, in the Revolution third. Um, but outside of that, I mean, he, he really didn't have many other flaws that were super noticeable. Um, I, I, you know, we talked about Mark Segbers last week. I, I thought that I think Segber is more of a natural athlete and a better foot, uh, a fit at right back, but I don't think Haribo fared much worse than Segbers did. Um, 79% passing for Haribo didn't make any egregious errors. So overall, I think it was an okay performance. Would I like to see him back at right back? Probably not. I I think that's a place that um, if Andrew Farrell's healthy, I'd rather see him there. I'd rather see Brandon by there. Um, I think Segber's long-term is a better person that, that can fit in that right back spot. Um, I, I think if Zach Haribo is on this team, he, he should be a holding midfielder uh, or a central defensive midfielder. I, I don't think he should be uh, playing in that right back slot or the left back slot. Right. The, the one thing that was quickly noticeable was you know, Haribo's lack of speed with, with Lovitz just burning him pretty early in the game. Um, and I think that was something that Montreal tried to exploit. They you know attacked on the left a lot in this game, which makes sense with Piotti you know, leaning out there a bit more and, and Lovitz as a uh, dangerous, fast guy um, on the left side. Uh, you know, you don't have to be super fast to be successful as a fullback, but if you're not super fast, you have to be, you know, a lot smarter about your positioning and, and when you make runs forward. And um, for a guy that's 22 and you know, that's not really a position that, as far as I'm aware, has ever really played, um, it's quite an adjustment to ask out of him. And I, I think, you know, were you to give him a full season there, maybe it would work out. But um, what I did like was what we saw offensively from him. And, you know, there was one play again in the first half that I was particularly impressed with when he got kind of pinned in the corner and there were two defenders on him. Um, and, you know, I, I thought it was going to be an obvious turnover for him. But instead, he flicked the ball over both of those guys and got it to, to Aguadello. Um, that was something that was you know great to see. And I, I think there is some creativity there. And he's a guy that's you know capable of playing some good soccer. Um, but I, I agree with you. I'm not sure right back is going to be the, the place for him to do that, um, despite some of his you know offensive options. Um, it, it seems like central midfield is certainly a more comfortable spot from him. And you know, we haven't gotten to see enough of him this year to, to say whether you know he's an MLS level player. Uh, there, so maybe that's something we'll see next year. We'll we'll talk more about who's coming back, but um, it, it was definitely interesting to see him out there. Um, and you know, the the other guy that I mentioned was was Kellen Rowe, um, getting a start in, in central midfield. Um, I thought he did okay. I didn't think he had an amazing game by by any stretch. It was nice to see him get an opportunity to, to play in the center. Um, but I'm not sure he took full advantage of it. The Revolution didn't create too many chances. Rowe saw a lot of the ball. He led the team in touches with 71, um, but didn't have any key passes. Had a couple of shots off target. Uh, what did you think of his performance? Well, I, he was second on the team in touches. Uh, De La May had 81, but oh, good, good point. Still, 71 touches is a lot for, especially since he didn't even play the full game. He came off in the 82nd minute. Um, I, I thought he played fine. He seemed like he wanted to create a lot of chances. He had two shots. I think one of them he, he totally skied over the bar. Um, and then there was another one where he – it was a long-range shot. It actually uh, – he, he was trying to catch the keeper out of position. Um, he, it was a long-range shot that went over the net, but it, it was a good thought. Um, he, he seemed like he was really kind of pressing, um, and I think he, he – 
you know, we, we kind of saw him earlier in the season when he came off as a sub, kind of take some chances and take some long shots and, and try to create a lot of – he was more successful earlier in the season. Yesterday he seemed to be very frustrated. But uh, I think he's trying to make the most out of the minutes he has in the central midfield. I, I think that's kind of where he wants to be. Um, and he, he basically said so after the game too. I forget who who got the quote from him. Uh, but someone asked him about – I, I think it was Carl Sutherland said um, – asked him if he wanted to play attacking midfield or central midfield. And he said, you know, I'm happy playing wherever, but you know, obviously, yeah, I want to, that, that's where I want to be. Um, I'm paraphrasing there. Don't quote me word for word, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I think yesterday he was grinding. He was trying to make the most out of it and, and it was probably an audition for other teams in the MLS. So um, yeah, I, I wasn't over, overall impressed. I don't think that's a performance I expect from Kellen Rowe. He, he just seemed pretty ineffective for someone who was second on the team in touches. And um, yeah, there, there's not a whole lot you can say. Kind of an uneventful game for Kellen Rowe. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And the, my takeaway from this game, you talked about it earlier, was the, the defense giving up zero goals. I thought De La Mea and Mancien showed uh, you know, pretty good pairing back there. I was, you know, pre- I've been pre- impressed with Mancien's passing. Um, he was at 96% in this game. De La Mea was at 87%. Um, you saw earlier in the season that the center backs were you know, having trouble turning over the ball. Um, you know, to be fair, part of that here is the Revolution kind of played a different style here. Montreal was for the most part, willing to cede possession to the Revs, uh, which kind of allowed them to play that. They're, they weren't playing that as much of a high line and a high press that we saw earlier in the season. So I think that's why De La May and Mancien looked pretty good. And I think the two of them um, are capable of forming a very good center back pairing when the Revolution play like that. Uh, less so when they play the high line. I don't think either of them really, um, I don't think either of their strong suits are really dealing with long balls over the top. So um, it was nice to see the two of them combining well and, and playing well and playing off each other well at center back. And I think that's something that the Revolution could potentially build upon next year if Brad Friedel decides to play you know, a different style. I think they were kind of forced into playing a different style this game and some of the other games recently because the teams they've been playing against have kind of laid off a bit. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen there. But uh, that, that was something that I thought was interesting and, and you know, something that the Revolution could possibly build upon uh, next year with that, that center back pairing. Um, and I don't know if you had any thoughts on, on the two of them and, and you know, the prop both of them could be back next year. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about De La Maya and, and if he'll be back next year a little bit later in the podcast. But I, I thought, to your point of, you know, it was a very stable uh, defensive pairing yesterday. Uh, I thought Miancien had a very good bounce back game after we kind of uh, tore into him yesterday. It was probably his, or, or last week, I should say, uh, he probably his worst game as Rev last week in my mind. But this week he came out to play five interceptions, uh, nine clearances, three block shots. Uh, Mancien had a really, really strong game and his first game as captain for the Revs. And uh, Sean, I, I got one more question. Uh, is there someone else uh, that was inserted into the lineup uh, that really helped out on defense, kind of preserve that shutout yesterday that you want to give uh, credit to? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Matt Turner back in the, the lineup. Team of the week. And, and one of the, yeah, one of the best performances out on the Revs this week with uh, one big save. He also, he also had a key pass. I, I always love Matt Turner's distribution um, for the Revolution. And so that was good to see as well. I, I'm glad he's back and I think... Um, we can talk. I, actually, we'll, we'll jump into that now. Do you think Matt Turner playing in this game was a sign that um, you know he's the front runner for the starting gig next season? Yeah, I, actually, that's one of our Twitter questions. You kind of jumped the gun on that one, Sean. But yeah, Mike Kennedy asked us, "What do you make of Turner playing in this one? Simply a rotation or a glimpse at Friedel's preferred starting goalkeeper headed into next season?" Um, I, I think I take it as a rotation. Um, I, I think that Friedel wanted to give him one more shot, and I think he really took it. I think Friedel really likes the mentality of Matt Turner too. You know, Friedel talks about this mentality and. 
um, this European mentality and, and taking your job. I think Matt Turner says all the right things and has the right attitude towards it. And I, I think Matt Turner is definitely someone that is going to be on this team next year, whether it's as a backup or a starter. I, if you're asking me who's the starting goalkeeper, Knighton, Cropper, uh, uh, Turner, or a different goalkeeper, I, I think it's Matt Turner. I think he's the starting goalkeeper going into next season. Um, I, I think for this purposes, he just wanted to give him one more shot and see how Matt Turner responded. But I, I think Matt Turner passed that test with flying colors, and I think he's your starting goalkeeper in 2019 if i was to guess yeah i i'm with you on that one i think um you know as we saw last year brad friedel goes into preseason with a very open mind about things none of us expected to see matt turner uh get the start in opening day last year um but you know now i think he's the favorite again to do it next year so we'll, we'll see what happens but i was impressed by him tonight and it was good to see him get back out there and i think that you know taking him out of the lineup for a couple months might have done him some good um because he was on a bit of a you know shaky streak uh, before that happened. Um, one other guy I wanted to touch on before we you know, move on to, to more Twitter questions. I think this will be a, t- a Twitter heavy episode, not just with the questions, but with the news that was sort of broken or hinted at on Twitter this week um, is Brian Wright. Brian Wright got 45 minutes. I don't think it was planned. Tail Bunbury, I believe, had an injury and had to come off. Um, but Wright got you know full 45 minutes in this game. What, what did you think of his performance? I know both of us had wanted to see more of him and give him another chance to you know prove he belongs in this team as, as depth. Um, did he do that last night? He didn't really do anything. I mean, he came on. He got a full half. Um, one shot. He, he didn't get a whole lot of... I don't know, play uh, 37.5% pass accuracy. He did win three aerials, but overall 16 touches. I think that's the type of, of player Brian Wright is. You kind of have to feed him the ball. He's not going to be able to to do much when when you're not getting him uh, the ball, when his midfielders don't get him the ball. Um, he did have three uh, poor touches, I should say. What is, uh, yeah, bad control is yeah, what it's classified on who scored. So it really wasn't a good half for Brian Wright. I'm not sure where he stands with this team. I, I, I hope he gets a you know, another shot to come in as a backup next season. I thought he really pressed in, in uh, the game at NYCFC. But um, yesterday was kind of, kind of similar to Kellen Rowe, where you're kind of hoping to see something from him and, and make a good impression to end the year. Um, and we really didn't get anything from Brian Wright, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I don't think this was a good game for Brian Wright. Um, I don't think he did himself any favors as far as you know earning more time next season or even earning a spot necessarily next season with this performance. Um, you, you know, anytime you're playing 45 minutes and you're passing at 37.5 percent, even as a striker, that's that's pretty poor. Um, I think I think I've started to call that the uh, the Hache line when you're below 50 percent, like the Mendoza line in baseball. And uh, Brian Wright was below the Hache line in this game, so um, I don't think it's a performance that he's going to be proud of, and I don't think it's you know going to do him too many favors going forward. Um, one last point on this game uh, that I, has got to be really frustrating for Brad Friedel after he you know, talks about mentality and concentration. W- could you believe that that throw-in that happened where uh, they let Ameriqua go behind the defense? And, of course, you can't be offside in a throw-in, but nobody went there to track him and you know, ended up being Matt Turner making a, a big save there. Could you, could you believe that the Revolution, after all of this preaching about concentration and mentality, uh, gave up such a stupid uh, schoolboy-like play like that in this game? Yeah, I wonder, uh, I actually meant to go back and watch it. I I didn't watch it more than one time, whether or not they just didn't realize he was back there or if they just seemingly were oblivious that you can't be offsides on a throw in. Uh, yeah, really, really silly mistake all the way around. And, and, you know, uh, the defense was pretty solid throughout the rest of the game. Mancien is obviously a very experienced defender. Um, you know, I, I could imagine if it was, you know, any Baba and Brandon by on that side who don't have a lot of experience on the defense, but yeah, for someone to kind of creep back there with Mancien and, and De La Mea on that back line and no one kind of points them out. It was pretty surprising. 
Right, and it's and it's their lone striker too, the one guy that you know you always have to have some sort of eye on, and you, and you know, Mancian, as like I said, I thought he had a very good game, but as captain, I think a little bit of that falls on him to make sure the defense is organized on a play like that, um, and certainly Dale Maya too as a as a veteran, so that was a bit shocking and, and disappointing. Um, to me to see that come in a game like this, this late in the season. Um, and certainly I think it's something that will you know, give give Brad Friedel a bit of a headache after after watching this game, and he's not going to be happy with, with that one. Um, but I, I don't know, was there anything else you wanted to discuss in this game before we moved on to the Twitter questions? Well, and this will kind of transition into the Twitter questions because his dad made headlines yesterday. But um, if this was uh, Diego Fagundes' last game as a member of the New England Revolution, I think it was quite a great game to go out on. 81% pass accuracy. Uh, five shots, two on goal, two key passes, 7.7 rating on who scored. And of course, that uh, that the game-winning goal, the only goal in the match. Uh, I, I think that was a great uh, game by Diego Fagundes uh, and obviously a great achievement to reach 50 goals, youngest ever to do it. Um, almost beat Landon Donovan by a year. Uh, I, th- I think he, it was about 300 days or so. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But, um, you know, if it is the last time we see him, I, I think he couldn't have chosen a better way to go out. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It was a fantastic performance by Fagundes. And um, like you said, let's, let's jump right into it. His dad, before the game, posted uh, sort of an, an ominous tweet that, you know, I, I'm trying to pull it up here, but it was something along the lines of, you know, good luck to Diego. Enjoy what could be your last game for the revolution. Uh, something along those lines. So it was it was interesting because when you were talking about, you know, guys that you thought were going to be gone next year, um, I kind of assumed that Fagundes would be back. Um, so that was that was something else. And then as it turned out after the game, um, it sounds like he does have another year left on his contract. I think you actually found the article from a few years ago that was in the Boston Globe. It was Frank DeLapa that you know, said he had another year after this um, on his contract. So I think he, he does have another year or an option. Uh, but what, what did you make out of that? Yeah, well, um, and and just to kind of get it out of the way, yeah, there there was an article from the Boston Globe. Frank DeLapa reported when Diego Fagundes signed uh, his extension, it was a three-year deal with uh, an option year for the fourth year. That fourth year would be the 2019 season. So there, and Diego Fagundes yesterday did confirm uh, that he uh, does have a team option and that it's up to the revolution whether or not he is renewed and, and back with the revolution. The problem is that he was very noncommittal. Um, it sound, and, and we've talked about this before. Diego Fagundes is uh, overall guaranteed compensation is $190,000. Um, for someone who is a 10, that is a low number compared to the escalating salaries in uh, MLS. Um, you know, when he signed this contract back in 2015, I'm sure it was a, a decent deal for him back then. But, you know, salaries have increased. I, I, I am under the impression that you know, between Brad Friedel kind of moving him out of that 10 role and seemingly losing confidence throughout the rest of the season. And the fact that Diego Fagundes is underpaid. Uh, I, I think when you, certainly when you compare it to uh, Christian Machado and, and how Jay's uh, salary figures, and they're only making pro it's pro rated, obviously, but they're making 130, 150. And then Fagundes is making 190. Uh, I, I think this is going to be another Lee win type situation where Diego Fagundes is probably going to hold out. Uh, he's probably going to either ask for a new contract uh, or he's going to ask to be traded and uh, go elsewhere. He also mentioned yesterday, I forget who had the quote, uh, but that he, he had an interest in playing overseas, and he said something to the effect of, you know, all players dream of doing that. So um, it might be that he just doesn't want to be in New England anymore. Um, I, I'm I'm not sure what this means for the team. My assumption is they're going to exercise that option. I think they'd be crazy not to, even if he doesn't want to play for New England next year. I think it's a lee win situation where he's a very, very valuable trade asset. Um, and 
I don't know. I it might be he just wants to get paid and he's happy to come back, but it sounds like he is done with this franchise. That's that's my uh, <laughs> speculation into this. It it certainly doesn't seem very good. Right, and he, he's absolutely underpaid for his level of performance. You mentioned he was the quickest guy to 50 goals um, since 2013. He's been either he's either scored or assisted 29 percent of the Revolution's goals. So he's been a huge part of this team's offense. And yes, you know he, he is a streaky player. Um, there are games where he you know can be a bit invisible, but um, for that level of production, you you can't do any. You, you can you're never going to get somebody for that type of salary. So I think there's there's no doubt um, he's underpaid, and I can understand why he'd be frustrated. I don't think he's the number ten. Um, I think he did an admirable job um, as a number 10 for the Revolution early on in the season when the Revolution were, were really focusing on that press. Um, but I do think he's a guy that could be a very good complementary player on this roster, uh, particularly perhaps on the right wing opposite of uh, Christian Pania. Um, so I think he'd be a huge loss for the Revolution if they were to lose him, but it is interesting that he is under contract. Um, I do think that he's a guy that, you know, even if Brad Friedel lost, contra- lost confidence in him as the number 10, um, that he's going to recognize him as a player that, you know, is important to bring back and, and try to make happy. So that'll be something to watch. Like, oh, season. You mentioned Hauche and Machado. Um, I think the Revolution would be wise to get rid of both of those guys and, and put every single cent they're paying them into Fagundes next year, but uh, we'll, we'll see what ends up there. I think we got a, a Twitter question about Fagundes as well. I don't know if you want to jump into to that. Yeah, we're going to hop into Twitter questions because we have a lot to kind of uh, dissect on on who's coming back. I, I wanted to give the quote real quick, though, about uh, what uh, Diego Fagundes' father uh, put out on Twitter. Uh, it says, and this is based on the translation, today, enjoy the game at Diego Fagundes. Uh, that may be the last one here in this club and in this stadium with these great fans. Uh, it was translated from Spanish to English, so it's not perfect English, but um, thought that was worth throwing out there. Um, so, yeah, we have a couple of questions regarding uh diego fagundes um james downing asks us uh how much should we read into diego celebration was it just for the goal record or is this really his left revs uh his last revs match is this a just a gronkowskian uh parental financial negotiation which we kind of speculate um zach grimes also asks is diego gone based on the recent tweet by his dad and tyler asks uh where is the best landing spot for diego um, so kind of a lot to divest. I think we've kind of answered some of those questions already um, in terms of what we think is happening behind the scenes here. Um, I kind of wanted to tackle the best landing spot for Diego question, though, first, because uh, and who knows where he ends up going. I, I think he's hinted at going overseas. I, I don't want to speculate which club he's going to overseas, but I, I think that's kind of where he wants to go. Um, I think he realizes he's 23 and if he's going to make a move to Europe, it's now. Uh, but if, if he was to stay in the MLS, I think that one team that would have a pretty strong interest in him would be uh, Cincinnati. who's going to be an expansion team next year, and they're probably going to be looking for a young building block to add to that team uh, to pair with Addy. And I, I think Diego Fagundes <laughs> might be a good spot for him. Uh, that, that's kind of my speculation. That's based on absolutely nothing. But, um, you know, a 23-year-old player who's uh, successful in this league and uh, could help build a fan base and, and <laughs> help an expansion team, I think Diego Fagundes would be a fit there. Right, and they'll have a lot of allocation money and assets they could trade to the Revolution, so that would make exactly. sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. my, my only thought there is uh, how adamant the Revolution appeared to be about avoiding trading Lee Wynn to an Eastern Conference team if they would have the, the same hesitation with Diego Fagundes. And if it, because of that, if he were to go to MLS, if it would be more likely to see him at a, at a West Coast team, maybe he could end up uh, at LAFC and reunite out there. Uh, my only thought is about if he were to go overseas and maybe a, you know an obvious thought is, uh, a guy like him, a creative, you know, smaller guy in stature, 
um, I think would probably be better suited if you were to go overseas to, to play somewhere like, you know, the Netherlands, uh, if there was an opportunity there or somewhere like Spain and maybe one of the, you know, not top teams in La Liga, but one of the lower tier teams in La Liga, um, one of the leagues that's you know not known for being as physical as, you know, say England or, or Germany, uh, if he did have an opportunity to go overseas. So that'll be you know something to watch um, in this offseason. But again, I do think the Revolution are going to make a, a hard play to try to keep him here. Uh, you know, I think he's kind of become the de facto face of the franchise with, with Lee Wynn and, and certainly Jermaine Jones uh, gone after a few years ago. Um, is, is, you know, is that too much to, to say that Figuna is kind of at this point being the local guy and for how long he's been here, he kind of is the face of the franchise, right? I would say right now, yeah. And I, and I think you're hitting on it too, that he's a local guy. He's a homegrown product. He's someone that I think the Revs have tried to build around in the past four or five years. And yeah, I, 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 is he a fan favorite? I don't think he's a fan favorite anymore. I think he certainly was when he was younger and showed a lot of promise. I, I think I, I get the feeling that some fans are ready to move on from Fagundes, which I, I, I think they don't realize how young he is and how much potential he is. And even if he's not a, you know, game changing superstar, that he's still a really good, good piece on a good team. Um, but I mean, yeah, if he, is he the face of the franchise? Yeah. A local product, someone who's been with the, the team a long time. Uh, I, I don't see why he wouldn't be the face of the franchise. And I don't see why he's uh, not a marketable star in New England. Well, frankly, I think a lot of fans are, are ready to move on from a lot of the guys that are on this team. And I think, um, you know, some of Friedel's comments played into that. It was, you know, really negative without maybe explicitly saying it about guys that have been here um, for a few years and the mentality that they have. And I think you know, that's probably rubbed off on some of the fans to, to thinking that maybe Fagundes doesn't have the right mentality for this team, which I think is a lot of crap. Um, you know, we've seen him take this team to, you know, as be a part of this team that got to an MLS cup. Um, so I don't think there's any reason why he can't be part of a successful team, certainly. Uh, but, you know, on, on that note, I, I, I do think there are some fans that have soured on him. I still think the younger fans, you know, he's a, he can be a, a big favorite and a fan favorite. And he's a guy that's capable of some flashy plays. He scored a very nice goal in this game. We've seen him, you know, take guys on the dribble and do some some really impressive things in his career. So it makes absolute sense that a local guy, you know, who grew up in Lemonster, uh, would be a fan favorite, and the Revolution should take advantage of that. And again, his contract is ridiculously cheap for a guy with his level of performance. Um, so uh, you know, I'm very interested to see how that unfolds. But my my hunch is still that he ends up back on the Revolution next year. No, I agree. And we, we have some more questions, too, about other players. And I, I think we'll go into this next week um, on who we think is staying. We'll kind of try to break it down a little bit more. This week, we're kind of just wrapping up uh, uh, the season. And, and next week, when we do kind of a end of season episode, uh, off season projection, we'll kind of take a deeper dig into the uh, the the who's returning, who's not returning. But yeah, we have and, some... I'm, and I'm hearing some murmurings, too, that we might actually find out this week. Um, who the Revolution decide to pick up for for contract options? I think it was Friedel, you know, hinted at that he was going to tell the players on on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, so, and, and I've heard that there's a chance that we could find out as soon as this week, whereas past years it's been uh, late November or even early December where the Revolution have announced options. So that would give us a, a lot to talk about next week, and if that were the case. Ooh. And actually, I mean, that that's not really a surprise. Yeah, there is kind of a few weeks historically. Uh, it's closer to the MLS Cup when options are announced. But, I mean, Friedel has said he knows who's coming back. So I guess there's no reason not to. Uh, but so we'll, we'll, we'll go into that later. But for the, the meantime, uh, James Downing has asked us a, a couple of specific um, revs that we should get into. Uh, he asked if uh, these are Cullen Rose last minutes in a revs jersey. How about Teal, Haravo, and Agadello? 
um, all toast question mark, uh, which I thought was a pretty interesting. I, I was also really curious that he added Haravo on this list. Um, but we did some digging before the podcast, Sean, and, and I guess we're starting to doubt a little bit that Haribo's, um <laughs> a guaranteed to come back, too, because he's 22 years old. Um, they signed him to his uh, first pro contract four years ago, and he really hasn't made a lot of progress into the starting 11. Um, so, yeah, maybe the the, the Zach Haravo experience is over. Uh, he, he's at a low salary, though, so I would imagine that he stays on as a depth piece at the very least. But I, I guess that's not really a given anymore, is it? No, I mean, you know, as a homegrown player and you know, not being on the senior roster, that that is a benefit to him. Um, but it's been four years now. He's not that young anymore at 22. It's it's funny that you you know talk about Fagundes being 23. Hervu is only 22, and and he hasn't um, really ever stepped up to the plate and gotten lots of minutes with this team. You know, Friedel's comments early on in the year implied that maybe he would this year, but it, it never really panned out. Um, I don't think right back is going to save his career. I don't think that's going to be, you know, what does it for him. Um, you know, we do expect there to be a lot of turnover this offseason, so maybe that opens a spot to him. Like you said, his, his, his contract is, is low. But because this is his fourth full year, um, I would imagine that, you know, he may not have an option year next year, or if he does have, you know, another year left, it would, it, it's almost certainly a team option at this point. So we'll, we'll see what happens there, but it, I don't think it's a guarantee. Um, he's a guy that I'd say more likely than not, just because if, like we said, the revolution, you know, needs some bodies and he's cheap. I, I think there's probably you know, a 60 to 70% chance he comes back next year. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. Uh, and I, I... I just want to kind of move down this list. I think the obvious one, too, on this list that we don't expect to come back, and we've talked about this for weeks, uh, Juan Agudelo, his contract is reportedly up. Um, his salary is 575000 guaranteed compensation of 602500 I can't imagine he's going to take a pay cut to stay in New England. I also noticed he seemed to be a lot more aggressive on the ball yesterday. It kind of it, it was similar to Kellen Rowe. He's a little more successful than Kellen Rowe yesterday, but he seemed to be playing for his next team. He had four key passes, two dribbles, two shots, neither on target. Um, my assumption is he is gone. Uh, do you have any disagreements with that? I, I think that's just plain as day. He was non. By the way, uh, he was asked yesterday um, if he wanted to come back, and he was also non-committal, similar to Diego Fagundes. Uh, anything to add there, Sean? Well, and you, and you mentioned Roe earlier, mentioning he wanted to play in the center more. I believe Aguadelo made a you know was asked and made a comment more that he wanted to be striker. You know, he was more comfortable at striker. So, um, you know, I don't think there's any way he comes back. He's like you said, he, he was making six hundred two thousand guaranteed this year. Um, I don't think it makes sense for the revolution to bring him back at that salary. I don't think he wants to come back, um, certainly for anything less. Uh, you know, this hasn't been a great year for him. He has, I think he, what, he got 12 starts this year or something like that. It, it really uh, hasn't turned out the way he's wanted it to. Uh, we've talked about this before. I, there was so much promise for him. It never really panned out. This was another game, I think, where you saw flashes of that promise and what he could be. And, you know, there were a few years ago where we saw a couple of times where Agudelo and, and Fagundes and Lee Wynn combined to make some you know, phenomenal attacking soccer. And there were one or two times tonight where we saw Agudelo and Fagundes combine and, and play some really pretty soccer. Um, but you just don't see it enough. The consistency is not there for him, and you can't justify paying him six hundred and two thousand dollars to 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 play at the level he does, and to only get I guess it's thirteen starts this year and finish the season with three goals and three assists. Um, it's just not enough from him. And if I was him, I'd I'd want to leave this this team and find somewhere else to try to turn your career around. Um, you know, there were rumors mid season that there were some opportunities for him to go overseas, and because his contract's up and he can leave for no money, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he did lash onto a team that's you know willing to take a flyer on him. Obviously not one of the top tier teams in, in Europe, but you know, certainly you go back to, to the Netherlands, there could be opportunity for him there, or there could be an opportunity for him at a, a lower division, at our, a lower tier team in La Liga, um, which was rumored earlier in the season. That, that wouldn't surprise me despite his lack of success this year. You know, I, I don't think there's any way he comes back. 
And then uh, probably I, I think a name that no one expects to be on the, the revolution next year, Kellen Rowe. Uh, his salary this year was 193000 guaranteed compensation of 258000 which still arguably is good value, not the way the revolution are using him, not as a rotation piece. But I think a lot of teams would take him at that uh, level. Um, no one confirmed if he had an option next year, but uh, he was noncommittal about coming back, and it seemed like he he did not confirm that his contract was over. Uh, he seemed to imply that um, his future was in the hands of the revolution, so it's safe to say that he does have another option year. Um, my guess is that he uh, his option is extended and he is traded uh, somewhere, probably to the West Coast, um, probably to Seattle. That's the destination spot that's always kind of been rumored with Kellen Rowe. He, he is from Washington. Uh, he's from the West Coast. So, um, But that's my guess guess to what's going to happen with Kellen Rowe. I would say if I had to put a percentage on this, I'd say there's about a 10% chance Kellen Rowe comes back. This is just a situation where the player is better off elsewhere and the team is better off elsewhere. And it's not a knock on Kellen Rowe. I I think he's been treated, I don't want to say poorly, but I I certainly think he deserves better. Uh, And I think he'd fit in a system where he's not shoved in (laughs) at left back. Um, John, what are your thoughts on that one? First of all, I think it absolutely is fair to say he deserves to have been treated better. He's done so much for this team, both on the field and off the field. He's been willing to play everywhere. I think he's partially sacrificed his chances at the U.S. national team this year with what he's been asked to do by Brad Friedel. Um, So, you know, I I with you. I think he's gone. Um, From my understanding, I believe he does have an option year. And, of course, the Revolution are going to pick it up. They'd be crazy not to and then trade him somewhere. Um, You know, if the Revolution, to me, would be absolutely insane to – keep him next season um, unless they have some intention to make him their number 10 and, and play him there every week because I don't think there's any way you can resign him otherwise if they were to you know resign him or, or shouldn't say resign him if they were to pick up his option and keep him next year um, and you know play him as a depth utility guy like they did this year uh, you know there's no way he's resigning and then he can walk at the end of the season to Seattle Kellen Rowe is a guy that in my opinion still has a lot of value in this league I think there's absolutely a team that would take him I think Seattle would take him and offer the revolution something for him um, you know the revolution would be foolish not to trade him this offseason I think that's probably what he wants to be realistic to you know get an opportunity to play in a, in a team that plays a different style of soccer than the revolution I don't think what Brad Field does suits him um, so yeah I, I, I expect him to be gone um, and if he's not gone I think the revolution have made a serious error and then last on this list, we got Teal Bunbury, who of these people, whether or not uh, of these people uh, listed, Teal, Haravo, Agadello, and Rowe, I, I think his option might not be picked up. Uh, he's at a salary of two fifteen with guaranteed compensation of 260000 um, I, I believe last year Farrell's option was not picked up, but they brought him back on a contract. I think they negotiated his his salary down. I'm not 100% sure on that one. I'm going off of memory. I think th- this might right be – <laughs> This might be – if it wasn't Farrell, it was someone. They they brought back someone on a lower salary. This might be a scenario where Bunbury's option is declined, but he might come back. I, I think they like him uh, in this kind of system, but I, I, I mean his production kind of dropped off a cliff. I, I think everyone would like to see a bit of an upgrade at striker. Uh, we've talked about this in the past few weeks. Um, my interpretation is he's not coming back at that salary, uh, but I, I could see him – on the revolution next year. Uh, Sean, any anything to add on that one? I mean, it's going to be very interesting because you look at the money they're wasting on other players, and I actually don't think 260000 is too bad for a guy like Teal Bunbury. Um, you know, they should be spending seven digits on a striker in this league at this point. Uh, I think Bunbury, you know, he had a phenomenal first half of the year and just completely fell off the map in the second half, which isn't surprising. We talked about why, you know, last week, so I don't need to get into that. But um, I do think Brad Friedel likes him. I think he'll be back next year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's at the same salary. Um, but I don't think 
he'll be the starter next year. And if he is the starter next year, then I think the Revolution have again failed in this offseason because it's it's quite obvious that you know Teal Bunbury is a good change of pace guy. He's a good guy that can you know perhaps be in a rotation up top. Um, he can play on the wing if you need him to. Uh, I think he's a good you know. 60th minute if there's tired legs and you you need a goal I think he's a good guy to bring on um, but the Revolution need a you know true guy that can get them 15 16 you know 17 goals a season Tail Bunbury's never been that guy I don't think he's ever going to be that guy um, he's a nice player I think he can help this team but I, I don't think it's going to be in the role it was this year uh, but with that said you know when you're paying you know like like you talked about I think Hache what 150,000 a shot 130,000 whatever those guys are getting um, 260,000 for a guy that got you 11 goals even if he did drop off dramatically at the end of the season and uh, isn't a bad bargain. Uh, well, let me counter with this, Sean. Uh, I mean, I, I think we're, I, I don't know if we're totally pro Brian Wright, but Brian Wright is a much cheaper option. Um, you know, if you upgrade your starting striker, would you rather have a cheaper option in Brian Wright off of the bench, or would you rather go with Teal Bunbury? At a higher rate, yeah, at, at let's say even, just two hundred and sixty guaranteed compensation. Even if you're paying Teal Bunbury two hundred thousand dollars more than Brian Wright, I would I would take him. Okay, as your that's, I I respectfully disagree. That's another player I, in my mind. So I well, will. Well, hope, rare hope, time we disagree. Ho- hopefully, I, I, maybe I'm just pro Brian Wright. I, I'm I'm just hoping that the Revolution stop spending you know nine hundred fifty thousand dollars on center backs that are below average by MLS standards. In which case, they have more money to play around with up top. Assume you're talking about uh, Benjamin Angua. I think Mancien's fine for MLS standards. Oh, I, I'm talking about Claude Dielma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Oh, well, actually, that's going to transition. I, I do want to – this wasn't asked on questions, but um, there were some other names that came out, and a big tip of the cap to um, Julian Cardillo and um, uh, Jonathan Siegel, who were tweeting out kind of some contract updates and getting some uh, news from the players in the Revolution locker room. So some other names that came up. Um, Andrew Farrell has another option here. He confirmed – uh, yesterday, um, his salary was 182,600 uh, guaranteed compensation of 267,600. Uh, so pretty, kind of in that Teal Bunbury-ish range, uh, kind of a, a pricier player. I think he's questionable to return or, or questionable to have his option come back. Uh, Antonio De La Maya also confirmed he has an option uh, next year. His salary figure is 400,000. I think he's a little bit more in danger just because um, you know his spot between him and Annie Baba. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between those two. And Annie Baba is at a much lower uh, salary uh, at 90,000. Um, uh, but Claude Dielna, uh, as you just mentioned, Sean, uh, he confirmed he's not coming back with the Revolution. And you caught on Instagram. He he was at the Celtics game and he he posted it was his last days. So I don't think this is you know people have noticed he is posting on Instagram being in different cities while the Revolution are traveling out to Salt Lake and and elsewhere on the road. So I don't think this is a surprise that Claude Dielna is not returning to the New England Revolution. He's not he's not even traveling with the team. Um, kind of more of a bit of a surprise though is uh, Gabriel Somi. Uh, confirmed that his contract next year is guaranteed, uh, which is Yikes. a bit awkward uh, because uh, he hasn't been on the team. He hasn't been in the starting 18 for a very long time. And not only that, but the Revolution had an extreme need at left back, which, uh, Sean, I don't know if you remember this because Somi hasn't played in a long time. That is the position that uh, Gabriel Somi plays. Um, so... <laughs> They have no intention of playing him. You would think that if they had any inkling of of putting him on the field in 2019, they'd give him another shot and, and kind of ride him out and see if he, um, you know, got back to the level that they kind of saw in training. Uh, and I don't know what they're doing with him. I don't think they have any. I don't think anyone would take him no. uh, at his salary uh, in the MLS. Um, I, I guess they're going to buy him out. This, I don't know what. 
what what is going on here? This strikes me as it could be the uh, the classic mutual termination where neither the player wants to be here because he's pretty much locked out of the team, um, and the team doesn't want him. Obviously, based on what we've seen this season, um, he has zero trade value in MLS. I, I would be absolutely shocked if there was another team in MLS that wanted a defender that you know can't even make the eighteen that's making four hundred and twenty five thousand um, dollars. I don't think there's any teams in Europe that are going to be you know clamoring for him. Um, he came here because his playing time was limited at his last team, and that's why. He you know, wanted to move. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, if you cut him loose, he can perhaps lash on a team in Europe on a free transfer, but nobody's going to be paying money for him. Um, this is, you know, an awkward situation for the revolution, but I expect them to find some way to, to get him off the roster and, and send him elsewhere. Um, whether that requires them to pay off some of his salary or whether he's happy to just walk for free to, to get out of a you know horrible situation for him, um, I, I don't know what happens there, but I would be very shocked if Gabriel Somi was still in this roster, despite having a guaranteed contract at the start of next season. I, uh, I I think Seth McComer of uh, the the Bent Musket bust that broke that news too, so I want to give him uh, a tip of the cap also. Um, that is a big shock. I, I think none of this news surprised me. Um, I don't think any of these players that came out and said they were non-committal or no one said anything surprising. But the fact that they are not even putting him on the field, you could put him on the field and hope his trade value goes up, or maybe someone else would be interested in him. Um, but they they just shelved him. So I'm really surprised, knowing that that's the case. Um, that changes my opinion on how this situation has played out drastically. I was under the impression he was here one year with an option, and they were just going to kick him to the curb, similar to Claude Diano, where they had no commitment beyond this year. Um, now that there's a guaranteed contract, I d- I do not know what they're doing. Uh, no, absolutely, because <laughs> like you like you said, you know he he was the starter for the beginning part of the year, and then you know Chris Tierney got hurt. Um, you know, they didn't really have any other left back options. They forced Brandon by back there and you know, he's been okay. They put Kellen Rowe back there. I thought he was you know, pretty poor as a left back this season. You know, th- they had no natural left back options yet. Dielma, they pushed back there. He, you know, didn't last. So, you know, if, if you knew he was going to be guaranteed next year, you know, what did he do to get that far pushed out of the team where even in the desperation mode, they never would even consider putting him back in the 18. Um, you know, I was never a fan of his play on this team, but I, it is kind of shocking knowing that he had another year guarantee that they didn't even think about putting him back in the 18 at this point, you know, from, from what we could tell. Um, you know, I'm, I'm shocked by that. Um, I, I don't know what to make of it, but that's going to be a interesting situation to watch as the season unfold, as the off season unfolds, um, how they managed to get him off the roster. And, and I, I kind of cut you off. I kind of rambled on there for a little bit. Do you have any thoughts on uh, De La Maya or Farrell? You, you think we'll see them next season? Or any, any thoughts on uh, knowing that they have an option that uh, might be picked up or might not be picked up? So I, I think Farrell will be back. I think, you know, we talked about this before, how he was the one guy um, that until he got hurt was always in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I, I don't think he had a phenomenal year by any stretch, but I think he was good enough. Um, and I think Brad Friedel likes him. I expect him to be back. I don't think there's you know going to be too many trade offers for him. Um, he did win the team's defender of the year, so there's that. Uh, I, I think he'll be back. I don't know if he's going to be an everyday starter next year, but I think he did enough to be back. Um, De La Maya, I think we saw down the stretch that you know him and Mancien, um had potential to form a good center back pairing. Um, you know, given how many other departures we expect to see, um, I think he'll be back as well. Uh, I think Bradfield will probably bring somebody else in that can, you know, perhaps challenge him for that spot. But I do think that, you know, most likely De La May and, and Mancian will be the, the starting center backs going into next season. Um, you know, as bad as the defense has been. And I don't think that's necessarily a horrible thing, particularly, as I said, if Brad Friedel decides to, to change up his tactics a bit. 
Yeah. And one thing, I, I'm just going to add one more thing on Andrew Farrell, too. I mean, he, he also was the captain, so I think that's a good sign uh, for his, his uh, prospects. And he's still only 26. I mean, this is another guy that he's been on the team seemingly forever. He's been a part of this young core. Um, you know, I think some people would be kind of surprised. Say, oh, he's only he's only 26. He's still got three or four more years in his 20s. So, um, yeah, I, w- I, I think he's a... Uh, I don't want to say staple of this team, but I, I certainly think he's uh, got a lot of things going for him. Well, and, Again, and, and he's another guy that I've talked negatively about his offensive contributions. I think they got better this year. I don't think they were – again, there's a, a lot of room for improvement, but I thought that was an area he improved on. I wonder um, – I, I, I'm a little more skeptical than you um, just because uh, they seem to also really like Brandon Bay, And I think Brandon Bay if he's on the field somewhere, it's probably going to be at right back. Um, but with that being said, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Farrell uh, comes back. I, w- I would be a little surprised that they may at that $400,000 uh, uh, cap hit. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be a little more skeptical on him, but uh, Farrell, I could certainly see coming back. Yeah. And, and um, De La Maya, yeah, is still only making uh, what, a third of, of what Mancian's making. So, <laughs> You know, if we're comparing it though to Mancian, I feel like that everyone's going to have a tiny, you know, right? But Fagundes is that's how I but, look at. It. But he he's definitely not one third the player Mancian is. So Correct. I, I, oh, no, I, I will I will certainly <laughs> give you that. I, I I he's certainly a competent center back. And I, and if you were to tell me who are the best two center backs on the Revolution, I would say Mancian and De La Maya. But I I, I kind of look at that four hundred thousand, and I also kind of think of it too where. I think the revolution are trying to clear a lot of money. And so I think they're trying to get rid of some of these big salaries. That's how I kind of see it. I mean, they talk about all these widespread changes and De La May is someone that's bounced in and out of the lineup. I mean, I, I would love for him to be on the team. I think he had a really, really strong 2017. Obviously this year, kind of the season went sideways for him with that red card in Philadelphia. And he's, as I say, he's been back in and out of the lineup. Uh, he never really kind of got a strong footing, uh, but I think, you know, he could be a strong, consistent defender for the revolution. Um, with that being said, I, I think they want a clean house this off season. And I think he's going to be a casualty. That's my, 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 my only thought there is, you know, even if you keep a daily may at $400,000 on the roster, you should have 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 season. You know, you, you dumped Kamara in the off season. You dumped Lee Wynn. You got rid of Christian Namath. You got so much allocation money for all those guys. You're now getting rid of you know Claude Diano. These are all guys that are you know Lee Wynn was making five hundred thousand. All these other guys are making a million dollars or close to it. Um, so they should have an absolute fortune to spend in this off season um, to the point where a guy, a guy like De La May I don't think needs to be a casualty. Uh, you know, at four hundred thousand dollars, is he a bargain? No, but is he, he's not really a, a, a ripoff. He's probably paid about what he should be, I think, for the type of player he is. And, you know, yes, it wasn't his best season. You talk about the red card, but I think he is, you know, absolutely the Rev's second best center back on this roster. Um, like you said, Andy Baba, maybe not that much of a drop off, but, you know, if you're going to have a consistent everyday center back, I'd much rather see it be De La Maya than it would be uh, Andy Baba. Um, yeah, I, I don't have anything else really to add on this one. I, I don't want to run too much in circles, but the one, the two other people that I kind of want to touch on just cause we know, uh, their status is Christian Pena and Luis Caicedo. Uh, no one asked about this, but they have purchased to buy options. Um, Sean, are we on the same page that those are absolute must have <laughs> must exercise purchase options for the revolution? Yes, and to be fair, I think guys wanted to talk to them, but the Revolution did not provide a translator after the game, so guys couldn't talk to him even though they requested it. So that was unfortunate because they would have been interesting to hear from. Um, you know, here's my question for you: I think both of them have to come back next year. They've been, you know, arguably the two best players in the team this year. Um, certainly, you know, two of the top five at that at worst. Um, but does Pania winning the Players Player of the Year and the MVP put even more pressure on the Revolution to bring him back? Uh, I mean, I, I think there already was a lot of pressure on them. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that does. I mean, I, I certainly think they know that he's the best thing they got going for him right now. Um, I mean, unless this is a strip the team down to its bare bones, you know, build up a, a youthful team starting in 2019, I, I can't imagine them not bringing back Christian Mania. Christian Mania is 27, so... I mean, I guess if they really want to just cut everyone that's over the age of 25, I, I guess, uh, you know, maybe he's has a giant purchase option that, you know, is unrealistic right. for them to afford. But I, I can't imagine them not. We've talked about this. I can't imagine them not doing it. Well, h- hypothetically, if the revolution were to lose Pena and Fagundes, is there anything they could possibly do knowing how this front office works that I can make the offense better next year no. than it is this year? I think the answer is no. <laughs> That's the other thing too that drives me absolutely nuts. And I don't want to I, I don't want to rant on people on Twitter, but you know, I see all these people all the time saying, you know, take out everyone except for these three guys or these four guys or whatever. When has the front office ever exhibited the ability to replace people? It took them three years. They're still looking for a good center back pairing after AJ Soares left. I mean they really struggle at identifying talent and and spending their money wisely and bringing these players. And actually, Sean, I guess this is uh, this happened right before we started recording. We'll get into this. I know we've talked about this before. Ron Waxman is still taking shots at Mike Burns, uh, how no one likes Mike Burns and how no one wants to deal with business with Mike Burns. They have a very, very difficult time with bringing in players. So I, I think you have a very, very good winger, uh, an MLS all-star quality winger in Christian Pena. Uh, you have the first player, the, the fastest 50 goals player in Diego Fagundes. If you get rid of both of those guys, I mean, are we seeing two guys of equal quality coming in this offseason? No, we're not. If we're shredding this team, you know, down to its, you know, as I say, the bare bones, doing a youth movement, this team is not coming close to the playoffs next year. I, 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 I do not trust their ability to bring in an entirely new squad. I think they could bring in maybe two or three guys, uh, kind of like Pinea and Caicedo, but I, I can't – if they're bringing in six or seven new players that they expect to put in the starting lineup – I, I think three of them might be good or four of them might be good. Four of them might live up to the hype because for every Pania and Caicedo, there's a Zahibo and a Gabriel Somi. Right. And, and again, sorry, I didn't, I don't mean to rant. I just get so annoyed. No, no, I'm with you. Cause I, I've seen a lot of this, you know, even at me when I've been you know t- talking about the Fagundes news on Twitter, a lot of people are saying, well, he's you know been garbage this year. He hasn't had a good year. The guy had nine goals and 10 assists. You know, it, I, I get that he can be streaky. And I get that, you know, maybe he's not your number 10. And and I would agree that he shouldn't be the centerpiece of your offense, but he's paid $190,000 a year. He's not paid to be the centerpiece of your offense. He's paid to be, you know, your complimentary player. And I think at $190,000, he's a phenomenal complimentary player that's very far underpaid. Um, You know, if this was another team, they'd be paying their number 10 a million bucks or two million bucks to play that role. Uh, the Revolution are playing Fagundes 190000 to play that role. So it's not Fagundes isn't the problem. The problem is that they're not spending money to, to put somebody else in that role and let Fagundes be the complimentary player that he should be. Uh, so that's something that bothers me, seeing all these guys you know, railing on guys like Fagundes. You know, Fagundes didn't have the best season ever, but nine goals and 10 assists, you're not going to get that production from any other player in the league making $190,000, and certainly not any player in the league that's 23 years old and making $190,000. Um, that's what I don't get. You have to look at what these guys are making and realize that you know these guys are the problem. The problem is that the revolution you know, aren't spending enough at these positions and are forcing guys into roles that you know maybe they're not good enough to, to be that shining star centerpiece. 
Um, but they should be these complimentary players. On the flip side, when the Revolution do spend money, it's been on guys like Dielma and Somi, where they've been overpaying for guys that you know just can't perform and are in positions that generally other teams don't pay that much for. You know, even Mancien, who I think has been good, uh, $1.3 million. He's not $1.3 million good by MLS standards. There's other center backs in this league that are better than him making, you know, half the money. Um, you know, they needed him, and I think he'll be a helpful player to this team next year. But when you see them paying him, you know, $1.3 million, and then you see Diego Fagundes as your number 10 making $190,000, you know, maybe Fagundes isn't the problem here. Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to add there. And, and you know, when you're... 21st ahead, or when you're second to last in the M- in MLS in terms of you know team spending, a guy like Fagundes at a low figure, you know that that's a huge huge help for the team because they can go and spend that money elsewhere. So yeah, anyway, um, non related to options, I don't know. Is there anyone else you want to touch on in terms of op- options or contracts or anything like that? I'm no, gonna move I, th- I, think, gonna... I think next week we should go over the, you know, well, we're I, not talking about game, we can go over the entire roster and who should be back right. and who shouldn't, and, and maybe we'll have the option information at that point, too. So we won't, we won't touch on anyone else that there wasn't really news on. We'll have a little more time next week when the, the Patriots aren't on. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, one more question, just because I, I skipped over it. I probably should have started off with this one before you dove into contracts and, and kind of went on a rant, but uh, Mike Kennedy did have a question for us. Uh, it was a good one today and a good lineup put out there by Brad Friedel. My question is simple. Why didn't he do that more often? Um, the only thing really that I think he did better this game in t- lineup wise was he moved row to the midfield. Um, I don't know about Haravo starting it right back. So I, I, I don't even fully agree with the good lineup part. Um, I think it was an improved lineup in, in some respects, but, um, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't totally, totally impressed with the lineup. I, I do think putting Kellen Rowe was a, uh, in the midfield was a smart move though. And so I, I do give him, uh, kudos for that. So, um, why didn't he do that sooner? I have no idea. I mean, we, we've been talking about this for weeks. I don't. I, I think uh, Kellen Rowe was just playing left back out of need. They had central midfielders. That wasn't an area where they kind of wanted him, and they they kind of wanted Caldwell, Caicedo, Zahibo, uh kind of in the central midfield, I guess, and, and Rowe got shoved to left back by need. But, um, you know, we've been saying, I think, all season that we wanted Rowe in the central midfield. So uh, why he didn't do it sooner? No idea. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the the only noteworthy change, the good change, was putting Rowe in central midfield. Um, I don't think Hervu at right back is a long term option. I don't think that was you know something to talk about. Putting Turner back in the lineup, I think we both talked about that as being you know something that should have happened maybe a few games ago when when they were out of the playoff picture. Um, but you know, I think the reason the Revs looked good in this game was something we talked about earlier, and that was Montreal you know kind of willing to sit back in this one. Um, and strike on the counterattack on the road. I think that allowed the Revolution to keep possession more and, and play a bit more attacking soccer, um, as opposed to you know kind of force them out of playing a high press mode because they were you know Montreal ceded possession of them. So I think it was as much as it was Brad Friedel. I think it was Montreal's tactics that allowed the Revolution to look good in this one. Yep, and we're uh, not much to add there. We're done with qu- Twitter questions. So so on that note, um, I think we will be back next week trying to figure out what's going on with with this roster. I think we discussed too that we. We're going to try to do a, maybe a media roundtable at some point this year with some of the the, the local writers. Um, last thoughts here, because you did bring up the Waxman quote, and I didn't get to touch on that one. Um, it is interesting that he brought that back up. I think he tweeted it a year ago or something, but he, he retweeted his comment about Mike Burns and um, Manny Lagos, the Minnesota United general manager, and how... Uh, you know, it's hard to be successful with those guys as general managers. And he retweeted how that, you know, still a, an accurate tweet and has aged well. Um, and there were some responses there in which he basically, you know, said other agents feel the same way and don't like dealing with, with Mike Burns. Um, and it was, when he was asked who, he said everyone. Um, now, you know, I've talked about this before from, from my experience. Obviously, I haven't 
um, taken a survey of agents and I haven't you know done anything scientific, but you know from the few anecdotal pieces I've gotten from you know hearing from agents myself and hearing from others who've heard from agents, um, it's certainly not just Ron Waxman. So I don't know how prevalent it is, but he is not alone. Um, and you know, I don't know about you, but that seems pretty troubling to me, especially as we talk about going into an off season where the revolution need to make a lot of signings. Yeah. And, and I think too, you know, you look at the players that come in from overseas, they kind of come in at a premium. Um, and I, I think they're missing out on a lot of talent domestically because agents steer them away from new England. They don't want to play on turf. There's, they're not a winning team anymore. They're no longer this uh, team that's at the top of the East. They've missed the playoff three straight times. Um, there's not a lot of reason to come to this franchise right now. Uh, if you're a free agent. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think it's, and it's never good to hear that the GM is not well respected or well liked throughout the league. So, uh, and, and especially too, so publicly, publicly in 2017 and publicly again in 2018 uh ron waxman has uh taken public shots at mike burns so um it's not good and and you'd think that if the revolution are ever going to uh you know develop a winner um yeah they're gonna have to bring in some big uh uh, designated player signings but they're also gonna have to make thrifty signings and they're gonna have to make some guys uh get some players from the united states uh from around mls who uh want to come come here kind of be role players and, um, you know, it's, it's just not a good reputation to have. So on, on that note, we'll wrap things up. It's obviously been a big week in New England sports. So, uh, Greg, any shout outs before we end the show? Um, I, I think I just want to give a shout out to, uh, well, first, I think the, the Revs communication department, um, certainly Jeff Lemieux, uh, Carl Conlin, uh, the Far Post podcast. They had another, uh, I, I listen to them every week. Uh, I think they did a great job and uh, it's always kind of <laughs> good getting their insights. Um, also, Charlie Davies, too. Actually, I, I need to add Charlie Davies, too, to that list. Um, obviously, a, a, a former Revs player kind of giving his insights on the team. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if you don't listen to the Far Post podcast, I give it a, a high recommendation next season. Um, and also, I, I think all the – we've talked about this before. I, I, I Just a big shout-out to uh, – uh, the media that was down there yesterday, it's been covering this team all season. Um, Siegel, Siegel, Cardillo, uh, our co-host, Brian O'Connell. Um, you know, there's more people. <laughs> I just can't think of them off the top of my head right now. But um, they did a great job all season. And, you know, I, I think the Revolution aren't very well covered in Boston and aren't really given a whole lot of respect from the kind of the bigger media outlets. So, uh, you know, those guys do it, uh, you know, on their free time. And I think they deserve a lot of recognition for it. So. Anyway, hats hats off to them and uh, great season. And and I'll echo that. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll echo that. And and frankly, it hasn't been an easy season for the media to cover this team. I think with with the way they performed and um, sort of the repetition of some of the the, the losses and the way they've lost games this year. Um, Before we wrap things up, make sure you follow us at Revolution Recap. You can follow me at Sean Aldana. You, Greg, you want to throw out your Twitter handle? Yeah, I'm at G Johnstone Twelve. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, but my caveat every week, uh, if you want to follow me for soccer, it's going to be at that at revolution recap, uh, Twitter handle. And also like our revolution recap page on Facebook. Yeah. We're, we're trying to do something with it. So <laughs> the more, the more followers we have, the more motivation we will to, uh, to you made a stuff post, on Sean. Facebook. I was really, I, I was like, where I are did. all these likes coming from? I was like, Oh, Sean posted <laughs> on the Facebook page. Yep. So uh, you can follow us there and maybe we'll keep posting there if, uh, if more people like it. So, uh, thanks again to everyone for listening. We're going to probably be back next week, uh, especially if contract options come out, but we'll keep you posted on Twitter either way. Um, thanks again, everyone.